Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I am your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today I am joined by Justin Russo to recap day one of the NBA scrimmaging. Clippers defeated the Orlando Magic 99-90 to in the season opener. Uh, Justin, how are you doing tonight? We're recording this pretty late as this is round two uh, of our podcast recording. We had a little glitch in, in round one. I'm doing okay. I don't mind doing the redo. That's fine. I, I had nothing else to do tonight. I'm, I was bored. And then you're like, hey, we need to re we need to reshoot this. And I was like, you know what? I'm on board. Yeah, let, well, we're, we're going to have the exact same takes. Uh, I think we'll, we'll just see if we can keep them a, a little tighter. But no no guarantees w- with us. Uh, yeah. So to, to recap briefly, the Clippers defeated the Orlando Magic who are actually the visitors in Orlando is kind of odd. Um, 99 to 90, uh, Paul George and Lou Williams led the Clippers. Lou had 22, Paul George had 18. It was a 40-minute game, not a 48-minute game. So that was kind of one of the weird things. And the Clippers were without Patrick Beverly, Avica Zubats, Montrez Harrell, and Landry Shamit. Uh, Pat and Trez recently left the bubble for family emergencies. Landry and Zoo have not been in the bubble yet. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this was our first action in uh, 134 days, or our first Clipper game since March 10th. Um, Doc called it a scrimmage. He called it a preseason game. You called it a summer league game. I don't know what to call it. I, I don't know what we should take away from it. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing that was on everybody's mind was Joakim Noah his debut, his first game in over a year. Uh, what were your first impressions of Joakim Noah? I thought offensively he looked dialed in. I thought he understood the system where other guys were going to be. I thought he understood uh, his screening, um, like what his requirements were for, to be a good screen and roller uh, in the Clippers system. Because as we know, Avita Zubats, great screener. Montres Harrell, elite roller. Uh, Joe Kim Noah isn't the finisher at this stage of his career that he was in his early part of his career, and certainly not the finisher that Montres Harrell or possibly even Avica Zubats are. But offensively, 
I liked what I saw. I liked his tenacity and setting the screens and rolling hard. And then when he would catch the ball, um, he would make qu- super, super quick snap decisions with the ball, especially on short roll passes to the, to the corner shooters. He made one for an assist to Amir coffee, if I remember correctly, and another one to uh, Marcus Morris uh, when Kawhi Leonard got trapped on the left wing and then uh, Noah slipped it. Kawhi then hit Reggie Jackson and as as Noah slipped and dove hard to the uh, to the paint, Reggie Jackson hits him perfectly in stride. The Noah one touches it to Marcus Morris. It was an incredible sequence, especially for a guy. Like I think we have to remind ourselves, Jovan. Like Joakim Noah has not been with the Clippers in terms of practicing for all that long. So for yeah. him to make these reads and know where people are going to be on the offensive end, it's pretty staggering. Now defensively, he wasn't obviously defensive player of the year, Joakim Noah, and he wasn't even good on the defensive end. But I also think in terms of these scrimmages, whatever you want to call these games, scrimmages is what I'll call them for now. In these games, I just think the offense is going to be there before the defense. I think defense is going to take some time for guys to get back into the communication mode with each other. And especially on on Noah's part, like he's learning the ropes with this team. So it makes sense that he's not there yet defensively. But I did like the communication. You saw him openly communicate with guys on defensive end. I like him. I think he's going to be a solid spot minute guy for them when called upon. Obviously, unless something drastic happens to where he has to start, I don't think he's going to be a starter. But this gave me some optimism with him going forward. I'm totally with you. I I think that the first thing that stood out to me was his screening. Um, he, he's an incredibly active screener. Uh, you know, we we were joking. Uh, he he has the Andrew Bogut like uh, illegal screens down where he just kind of <laughs> keeps screening you and the refs just don't call it. DJ um, used to do the know, same it, thing too. DeAndre would do the it, same thing. And yeah, it, he's kind of just like setting. He hasn't set his his body yet, so he's like still kind of moving with the screen. Um, but he, but he was very active, and and you know I, I thought you saw him almost take more of the zoo role than the Trez role, which makes sense because, you know, skill set wise, he is more similar to Zoo. Uh, but I just felt he, he was up there around the arc, uh, setting a lot of good screens. Um, as you mentioned, he had three assists, uh, two out of, you know, one slipping the screen, one just as a role man. Um, and then another one where he caught in the short corner. And uh, I forgot. He hit, he, he hit a diving Reggie. Was it Jackson? Reggie? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was Reggie. Reggie cutting for a, a layup in kind of semi-transition. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he's already the Clippers' best passing big. Like, I, I don't think that's up for debate if you're, you know, saying strictly Zoo, Trez, Jermichael, Pat Patterson, Fee, <laughs> Jonathan Motley, like that crew. Um, I mean, Joakim Noah is, is definitely the best passer and he might still be the second best screener, but, you know, behind Zoo. Uh, so that end, that side of the floor, he was impressive. Um, you know, he, he had a couple nice finishes, uh, you know, kind of quick finishes. One was an and one. Uh, you don't want to see him shoot free throws. Uh, and like you said, defensively, I thought he was a beat or two slow on most of his rotations. Uh, clearly struggled getting out to Nikola Vucevic uh, at the three-point line. So that is going to be a concern if he ends up playing in certain matchups where he has to rotate out to shooters, like thinking about, potential matchups like a guy like Nikola Jokic who can stretch you out at the three-point line you saw him do that against the Clippers and Avica Zubats in back in January um so 
overall, I would give Noah probably something like a B or a B plus. Um, again, this guy's 35 years old, has not played in over a year. But I think even even if we're giving him a B, which might not sound as high as some people w- would want to give him based on the Twitter reaction, um, I-, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And you know, I, I think you, what you the version of him you saw in Memphis, uh, you know, last season, um, w- one of the things he still had in his his bag of tricks was the defensive side. And I think he, he like you said, the offensive side might come before the defensive side. And offensively, like. Sure, you know, he, he can understand their, their sets better. He can understand guys' tendencies better. Uh, but offensively, I, I thought he was already at a pretty high level, um, you know, just relative to his skill set and, and where he is in the season. But defensively, I think there's a lot of room for growth. And if he can get back to similar to the Memphis level um, or, or, or even a little bit below that, but better than he was today, and I think he will get to that level, Um you know, uh, this is a guy who definitely can play eight to 12 minutes in a key playoff game. Uh, Zoo gets in foul trouble. Trez gets in foul trouble. Uh, you know, so kind of like that Sixers game where you saw Joel Embiid almost fouling both of those guys out. Uh, I, I think Joe can step in, play, you know, eight, 10, 12, maybe even 15 minutes in a key game if needed. Uh, so to me, the biggest you know positive takeaway of all from this game was Joakim Noah's play. And the fact that the Clippers might have found a potential, you know, back end rotation player with the 15th spot, which can be hard to do this late in the season. I think people need to remind themselves this was Noah's first game in any NBA setting in 487 days. We're talking about a guy like like we say it's been over a year and it has. But that was March of 2019. Like we're going into August. <laughs> yeah. Like of point. 2020. Like, a, really like, a year and a half. Yeah. Like he's, he hasn't really played an NBA game in about a year and a half. Like it's crazy. And I think it's okay to be optimistic that he looked as good as he did on the offensive end and really in sync with them. And also wonder what's next for him defensively as he progresses in practices as he gets more scrimmage time, possibly even starter role uh, minutes. Like, look, I understand. I'm not trying to sit here and say Joe Kim Noah is this amazing player at 35 years old who hasn't played in a year and a half, and he could be this huge difference maker. I do think he can be a spot minutes guy. You know, in the first recording that we had of this, we talked about how he might be a type of guy that plays against Denver. Or someone, or a team like that, or even the Lakers for spot minutes. The other thing that we talked about was he might be the guy who breaks up some of the Montrezl Harrell minutes. Uh, like the because one thing you and I have rehashed several times as, as we've talked about this is we we never like how Doc plays Montrez so many consecutive minutes in the second half and especially the fourth quarter. Well, maybe yep. Joe may, maybe Joe Kim Noah is the guy to get three to four minutes in a stint in the middle of the fourth quarter to give Harrell a break and allow him to get some rest and come back in fresh to finish games. And if that's his role, that's an awesome role to have because clearly Doc Rivers hasn't trusted Avica Zubas to do that, which, you know, is neither here nor there. We don't need to rehash that. But Noah has the veteran presence and the respect of Doc Rivers to possibly be that guy. And that that in and of itself might raise the Clippers' little championship uh like level and window and probability by just a smidgen. 
And that smidgen matters. Like every little smidgen matters when you're talking about championship probabilities. So no one, even at five to eight minutes a game, might be a major difference maker in those five to eight minutes, just with his hustle and his intelligence and knowing where to be and what to do on the floor. Well, and I think the other part of that, you know, you mentioned five to eight minutes a game, but those five to eight minutes a game could really matter because I think just looking at the reality of the situation that we're dealing with, um, you know, it is realistic that guys might get injured returning to basketball after being off for so long. You know, there still is the threat of COVID, which is not going to go away. Um, you know, obviously we don't know which Clippers have officially had it and, and not had it. And, you know, could you get it again? And, and there's so many different variables there, but I think that still is going to be a threat over the next three months. So really, I think the team that ends up winning the championship is going to have survived multiple players getting COVID, you know, potentially multiple injuries. And I, I think for the Clippers to have another rotation level player now with that 15th spot, like that that is and you know he's not even in the 15th spot he, he's ahead of that but I, I just think that is so valuable and, and that was something that they didn't have before that they really only had two players you felt very comfortable playing at center and although the center position has changed a lot th- this past decade and, and half decade uh you know it still is a valuable position you know based on the really good teams in the league you know Joel Embiid Nikola Jokic Anthony Davis um, and even if not Anthony Davis, they're still playing JaVale or Dwight there who, who are solid centers. So, um, you know, the center position has not gone away. And again, if, if Doc doesn't trust Zoo for whatever reason and he's going to limit his minutes to 15, 18 minutes a night, if Trez needs a breather at the end of the third or the beginning of the fourth, maybe Joakim Noah is that guy for, you know, four or five, six minutes. So um, I, I just think having that insurance is really important with all the unknowns in Orlando. And again, um, you know, we're seeing it with a team like the Lakers where they lost a couple guys, Avery Bradley and, and Rajon Rondo, and they don't really have guys to replace them. But it's like, you know, if, if Zoo goes out or, or Trez goes out, you now have Joakim Noah, who, who knows, maybe in a best case scenario, he can step into a role of consistently 15 to 20 minutes, or you just shift Jermichael over more, but you still have, Joakim there for 10, 12 minutes. So I I just think insurance and depth has become even more important than it normally is in Orlando. So from that perspective, I I think he is very valuable, um, you know, when when thinking about how the situation could play out. You know, what's funny about the starting lineup from the scrimmage game. If you look at, if you look just alongside Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, the three guys in this starting lineup, Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, and Joakim Noah, Neither, neither of the three, or not neither of the three, none of the three, were Clippers on Groundhog's Day this year. <laughs> That's true. Like, think about it. You're talking about a guy on deadline day in, in Morris, a guy uh, signed to a 10-day two days before the season ended in uh, Joakim Noah, and a guy in Reggie Jackson who got signed after a buyout in Detroit and just latched onto the Clippers because, because they, A, they needed another guard, and B, he was Paul George's really good friend. And it's just funny to look at a, at a at a scrimmage game and you see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And then you see these other three guys that just, it just dawns on you. You know, in early February, none of them were Clippers. And now they all started a scrimmage game, you know, at the end of July, getting ready to go for a title. 
man, if if you would have told me before this season, I would have had to start examining and doing breakdowns of Joe Kim Noah and Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson. <laughs> I would have told you you were insane. Well, that's how it's played out. And, and so far, I think all three have met expectations. Um, I mean, I, I think Reggie and, and Joe Kim have exceeded Marcus. Um, I think has, has exceeded my expectations defensively. Offensively has obviously been uh, somewhat of a disaster, but um, there's still time for him to change that. Uh, but but two other guys I wanted to talk about with you uh, that you know stood out to me were were two mainstays, uh, Paul George and Lou Williams. Um, first, Paul George, uh, he clearly wasn't kidding when he said he's finally feeling 100. Uh, percent To me, he was the best player on the floor Wednesday. Uh, posted 18 points, five rebounds, three assists in 19 minutes. To me, looked like the guy that we saw in the first half of the season. Um, I, I had a stat uh, on a previous podcast where I think it was the first 19 games of the season. Uh, Paul George had six 30-point games in, in that uh, you know 19-game stretch. The last 23 games of the season, he only had two 30-point games. So you you, you kind of see that split there, where offensively he he was much more aggressive. And just you know, shooting better, averaging more points over the first half of his season versus the second half. Obviously, he was dealing with hamstring issues and, and whatnot um, during that second half. But to me, this version of PG is a top ten player in the league. Uh, had they played a, a forty-eight minute game and, and he played normal minutes, I think he would have had thirty-five plus. And to me, this is the version that you know the Clip- this is the version of Paul George that the Clippers need. And, and if they have this version. Um, to, to me, they probably are the favorites if they can get this from him consistently on a nightly basis. Sometimes you just need a great player to remind you he's great. And even in a scrimmage set in, setting, I don't think Paul George, outside of one play where he didn't make a, a layup that Reggie Jackson caught him on a backdoor cut and he just blew the layup. Outside of that, he didn't, he didn't have a wrong step in this entire game. And you know what? It's something I think he needed mentally. A lot of getting over the injury hurdle as you've said, he had three separate hamstring injuries this season alone. In a, in, a, in a one-month stretch, mind you. like It wasn't like it was over several months. He had this happen over a one-month stretch. So it was like stop and start, stop and start, stop and start. And then you factor in the shoulder stuff that he had to deal with in the offseason. I think he just needed a couple months off, and he got it. And I think the confidence is back. You know, he was letting it fly from three. That's what Paul George does. He looks smooth with his handle. You know, uh, Patrick Beverly talked about it on J.J. Reddick's podcast. Uh, like they kept classifying Paul George as a very smooth guy. You saw that like he, at one point he had a, uh, a crossover step back three. And I believe he was like against uh, Evan Fournier, I believe. And he left him Fournier just stood there looking at him like, Oh, okay. And you get these glimpses of Paul George being the player he was last season. And I think he and Kawhi have tried to figure out how to seamlessly transition into a duo rather than two guys playing alongside each other. Cause so many times in Clipper games this year, as you and I've watched, it'll seem like, okay, it's your turn. And then I'll take the next couple possessions. And then like, did they go back and forth, go back and forth. And today obviously seemed like, you know, PG was like, I'm just going to go out there and just see what happens. But like, they need to feel as a unit together rather than just be, individual parts trying to make it work. 
And PG being healthy and having that confidence in him being healthy, I think that goes a long way to the entire team being better because a healthy Paul George finished third in, in MVP and defensive player of the year last year. If you get that player for these couple months in the bubble, who buddy, it's going to be some kind of day every day for the Clippers. Well, and, and the other guy that if you get this version of him in the bubble, uh, it, it's going to be a, a long night for everyone else. Uh, to me was, was Lou Williams. And uh, there had been some joking about Lou on social media from, I think it was Trez and Pat were, were joking about it. And even Lou posted an Instagram photo of him like about to dunk. And um, we, we know anytime Lou gets up for a dunk, it's a big deal. Uh, but Lou to me looked like um, he, he was a blur out there. He, he almost looked like Leandro Barbosa, like breaking dudes off the dribble and just um, you know, first stepping by them. And, and to me, um, you know, joking aside, like his first step did look quicker and more explosive. Um, you know, he, he got to the rim at ease and I think he had four or five shots, um, you know, field goal, uh, made at the rim. And when you, you are seeing that version of Lou, um, you know, let all scores with 22 points, seven of 13 shooting six to six from the free throw line. And I, I thought what was important with his shot chart was, uh, I think it was t- 10 or 11 of the 13 field goals were either at the rim or from beyond the three point line. He only had two or three mid range attempts. Uh, and when you're getting that version of Lou, I think that's the most efficient version. Um, you know, he is kind of a Maury ball player where, um, you know, or, or he, he can be where he is a good three point shooter. Um, you know, he can get to the rim against second units. Uh, and I, I think when he's kind of focusing on those two things, he can be an efficient player. Obviously, we don't see that version of him a lot or, or consistently. Uh, but to me, if Lou is a benefit, uh, you know, a beneficiary of the rest, and and now he has some young legs, and it's kind of like early season Lou. Uh, that guy was was really good, you know, offensively at least. Um, and, and that could be a problem for a lot of second units. But the version we had seen over the last month, month and a half of the regular season was a guy who was you know 15, 16 points a night you know, sub 40% shooting, um, you know, inconsistent three point shooting. So to me, if this is the version of Lou, we're going to be getting, um, that's a very encouraging sign for the Clippers because I had some concerns entering the bubble. So what was really interesting about this was two things. Number one with Patrick Beverly and Landry Shamet not being there, that thrust Reggie Jackson to the starting point guard role. And with Reggie Jackson, the starting point guard role, Lou Williams was the predominant ball handler on the second unit. Whereas when Reggie was on the second unit, they would kind of split ball handling, but mostly Reggie would be the lead handler. Well, now Lou has to be the lead ball handler again. And yes, that puts a bigger burden on his plate, but it's also something he's dealt with. So he's obviously very comfortable with it. Number two, I loved how Doc Rivers, when he would sub Noah out, he he had to do this, but it was great to see. He would put Jermichael Green in at the five and leave Marcus Morris in there and they would get run together with Lou Williams. The reason that's important, Lou Williams needs as much space as possible. Not because he's not a good shooter. Like it's not like a Ben Simmons thing. It's because when Lou Williams has the space to operate, especially with two pick and pop threats, which is what Jermichael Green and Marcus Morris are. When Jermichael screens for him and pops, Lou is able to have more of a driving lane And it's very hard to cheat off shooters uh, to defend against Lou Williams driving to the lane because you don't want to give up open threes. So I liked 
how Doc Rivers made that subtle adjustment. I don't know if that's going to be an adjustment that sticks around, you know, when the Clippers are all in the, in the bubble together or whatever, but it was nice to see at least from this standpoint of, Hey, we got to see Jermichael and Marcus Morris as a four and a five together. And it really helped Lou unlock some of his driving ability, which he wasn't driving as much this year. From what I recall, looking at stats and looking at game film, I didn't think he really drove to the rim as much this year as he had in years past. So that extra space might be key in unlocking another dimension of the Clippers offense as the Clippers push for their first ever title in franchise history. With the return of the NBA season coming fast, The Athletic has launched The Athletic NBA Show, a daily podcast combining some of your favorite basketball voices under one umbrella. David Aldridge, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, Waz Lambre, Dave DeFour, John Hollinger, and many more along with a rotating cast of beat writers, yours truly, from around the league. Full spectrum, NBA consumption. Something for everybody. Every day features a new show covering everything from insider news to cultural issues and deep dives into in-game analytics. Produced by Jade Hoy. So before things tip off later this month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletics NBA Show, available now wherever you get your podcasts. I, I couldn't agree more again. And I think one of the interesting subplots to everything that's going on in the bubble right now with the Clippers is, you know, on the one hand, they are depleted, they are shorthanded, and you could make the case that that's a negative and it's going to be harder to reestablish chemistry and continuity um, and just get reps with the four guys that they're missing. And that is true to an extent. But on the center front, at least, I think there is actually a benefit to not having Avica Zubats and Montrez Harrell. Um, you know, those two guys played in basically every game this season. I think Trez only missed one game. Zoo played in every game. And now we are seeing, you know, the, the, the center position was split between Joakim Noah and Jermichael Green. You know, Joakim Noah played 15 minutes. Jermichael Green played 25. And I, I think that gives both of those guys valuable reps and experience in different lineups with different players and again, Joakim Noah had not played a game in almost a year and a half and, you know, was able to go out, play 15 minutes, play a lot of minutes with Kawhi and PG and, and screen for those guys, um, you know, had, had some nice pick and roll chemistry with Paul George. And then Jermichael, I, I thought what was one of the other stories of this game of, of just sliding over to the five. Like you said, he played exclusively at the five in this game. And Doc had been talking about it since training camp, you know, going back to training camp. Uh, he kept referencing Jermichael playing at the five, uh, you know, was referencing his performance against the Warriors in, in the 2019 postseason and was saying that was something he wanted to unlock. And, and then again, back in April, I, I asked him, what was something you learned uh, upon reviewing film from the season? Because Doc was talking about how much film he had been watching. And he said he felt they should have gone smaller more. They should have gone with Jermichael at the five more. So clearly we are seeing that now. We, we're going to be seeing more Jermichael at the five. And I think having these few games to kind of have that and potentially even having a game against the Lakers to have that uh, will be valuable experience and a confidence boost for Jermichael. Uh, but last thing I wanted to touch on before we get out of here is Amir Coffey. Um, I, I thought the Clippers made a, I don't want to say controversial decision, but an interesting decision in bringing Amir over Fondue Cabangeli. Remember, Fa, uh, you know, Fee was a first round draft pick that the Clippers didn't have. They traded for him because of how confident they were in his skill set and, and his 
um, you know, ability, you know, projecting forward. Uh, but they also kind of viewed him as a as a ready now guy. You know, while, while they were high on his upside, they kind of envisioned him potentially having you know that fourth or fifth big role. Um, you know, with the second unit, and that did not materialize. He, he did play well in the G League, but he also was a first round pick. And and you know, to leave a first round pick home, um, you know, while you don't want to read into it too much. I do think it, it is telling that they brought Amir instead, and it, it is telling of Amir's ability. And, and I thought, um, you know, Doc singled him out before the scrimmage. And overall, to me, Amir was was impressive defensively. He, he had a block. Uh, he was just big and active. Um, you know, offensively, he hit his first corner three of the season. And overall, I just think Amir's a guy that makes things happen. Uh, what did you think of Amir's performance today? I think he's an interesting guy because. I'm not going to say he's Ben Simmons, obviously, but like you see some of the Ben Simmons, like hybrid guard forward nature in him where he's able to get downhill into the paint as a ball handler and try to do all these things. But he's also a bit wild and his shot is very erratic and all like, yes, he shot 40% from three in the G league, but I don't know how well that's going to translate into the NBA. Um, But I do think he is a make stuff happen guy. And a little bit like, like Terrence Mann's kind of a make stuff happen guy. Like you need these guys who go out there, they muck up the game with their energy and their hustle. And they're just the fact that they just want the ball more than anybody else. So I like the fact they brought him your coffee because these are going to be minutes and times, especially in these scrimmage games where he's going to get valuable time to gel with the team and learn and continue his development. I think he's a very intriguing guy. Um, six, eight, six, eight wingspan, you know, big muscly he's got a good frame and the fact that he can guard threes and twos and sometimes maybe ones to at least uh, a stalemate at times is a benefit that the Clippers have that they didn't have, you know, six, eight, 10 months ago. So I like bringing him. It's great for him to get those reps, especially with the first team guys. So I don't think there's a downside for him. I'm very interested to see in his development um, same thing with with Fiondu Kevangeli. Same thing with Terrence Mann. I thought Terrence Mann had a couple nice passes. Um, it's all about the development. Like, like it's not just this season. It's next season and the season after and the season after that. So you get these guys' looks and, like, it gives them confidence. Like, confidence is a big thing. So I think for Amir Coffey, personally, I don't know what his role is going to be going forward. But I like the fact that they brought him just to get him time and to get him a better look and kind of reward him for how much he's helped the team when he has been on the floor. And similar to Joakim Noah, I, I think Amir can play a valuable role of, you know, projecting out the rotation. He's probably what, like the 12th, 13th, 14th guy. Um, I, I'm not really sure where he falls in, in the pecking order, but I think similar to Joakim in that, you know, he, he's kind of this insurance if anything happens to Trez or Zoo, again, both guys aren't even in the bubble yet, so we we don't know when we'll be seeing those two guys. Um, you know, as insurance for those two guys deeper into the playoffs, I think Amir can be insurance for the second unit in that the second unit by nature, the the one that Doc has been using, and of course he might shorten the rotation, he might go with different configurations, but Doc has has tended to up to this point use the second unit of Trez, Jermichael, Landry, Lou, and Reggie. So that is a six foot seven center and three guards on the perimeter, the tallest of which is about six four, six five. So 
against most second units, you'll get away with that. That's obviously a very good offensive lineup. But there are second units, uh, again, to bring up Denver, where they will go with a Michael Porter Jr. and, and feature him. Guys like Jeremy Grant and, and Gary Harris can be sneaky and, and active against you know porous second unit defenses. So looking at the Clippers' second unit, I think there are some defensive concerns with that group in certain matchups. And having a guy like Amir who can come in uh, for, for Landry or come in for Reggie or come in for whoever he, he replaces and be that 6'7", 6'8", rangy wing who can clamp onto guys defensively like that is a valuable role that the the Clippers you know might need at some point and in some ways this team kind of reminds me of that 08 Celtics team where they were really deep and just had random I mean that that team was a little more veteran heavy but that team had these kind of random guys off the bench who would come in and it'd be Big Baby or, or Leon Poe or PJ Brown or Sam Cassell or Eddie House and on and on where they just kind of had random guys who could hurt you in certain matchups and they kind of had an answer for everything. And that's what this Clippers team is is starting to kind of remind me of, of, you know, just projecting out certain matchups. Like they kind of have a matchup counter and just the stylistic versatility to adapt to almost any team they're facing. So I think Amir is someone who could be very valuable in certain matchups. It's going to be interesting to see how Doc Rivers weighs the rotation options, isn't it? Especially in like a situation like this. You know, especially when guys come back that are out of the bubble. The, if if any or all of the four guys come back in, Doc's going to have some rotation choices, and there's going to be some you know DMP coaches' decisions that you know we're probably going to see Terrence get them, and we might see Amir or we might see Magruder get them. It's just going to be an interesting thing to see Doc try to weigh the pros and cons of each fringe rotation guy because we know the main rotation guys, like we know who they're going to be. So those last couple spots going to be super interesting. Like does Patrick Patterson get a DNP and then doctors goes with the mere coffee for again? Like, like we don't know. So how you play? Well, well, hold on, hold on. I have an answer for you. Okay, Patrick Patterson right. yeah. should exclusively be getting DNPs. Uh, I, I know I, I made this joke at the last podcast, so it feels weird making it again, but uh, he did. He, he went three for four, hit a couple threes, but he got beat off the dribble at least a half dozen times. And it was really, really bad where like, just he could not stay in front of anybody. And it was like a layup line. Like it was basically Lou Williams in power forward form. Um, you told me he was old. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I'm, I'm now speaking for your former self who's, who said he was old. But I just I, I'm, I'm over the Patrick Patterson experiment. I, I think once they're healthy. I mean, right now they're depleted. They needed another big. That's fine. But once they're healthy, I, I think that that's it. He, he's done. I'm trying to remember if if Joe Kim and Noah and Patrick Patterson played against each other in college. Uh, I want to say no because Joe Kim was in the oh, 07 draft. Yeah. So okay, so Noah's last year at Florida was 06-07. Patterson's first year at Kentucky was 07-08. Boy, do they feel really old right now in terms of looking at them <laughs> in NBA years, don't they? That's Listen, true. We uh, might get, sir, we might get a Patrick Patterson, Joe Kim Noah front court at one point in a scrimmage game. I hope you're ready for against this. The, against the Lakers. That might be the uh, opening night power forward center combination. Uh, uh, Anthony Davis really, is quaking in his shoes at this. Doc really likes just torturing me. Um, okay. And, and then last point here, the, the most important point of the podcast. Um, we, we ended the last one on this. 
start bench cut Amir Coffey, Terrence Mann, Rodney Magruder, who I, I thought lo- looked somewhat better uh, in this game c- compared to what, what we saw during uh, the, the regular season prior. Um, start bench cut those three. What do you do? So I think I would go Coffey, Magruder, Mann in that order. I do have to give Rodney Magruder some credit. His shot looked better. Not just from like, oh, it went in, Stan. Like it actually, like the actual form of his shot looked better than it did earlier in the season. That feels weird to say earlier in the season. That was like six months ago. That's so weird. weird. This is all weird. It's all weird. But I think that would be my order. I think I would go Coffee, Magruder, Man. I feel bad saying that about Terrence Man. He's just not there as a helpful piece as of right now. We tend to agree too much because <laughs> I I agree with you. Um, I, uh, Amir to me is the guy with the, I, I think theoretically the most upside. You know, we're and, and to be clear here, we're talking about the rest of this season, not you know overall. If we're you know buying stock in these guys, I I, I take Terrence Mann stock, but for this season specifically, I just don't see Terrence Mann having, um much of an impact again maybe he has this random game or spurt in a game where he helps but uh you know barring pat and reggie going down and and them really needing another ball handler i just don't see that happening amir i think can have some uh crucial minutes as a defensive wing on the second unit and rodney could too you know i I think if they play dallas in the first round rodney is a pretty good matchup against luca um you know the thing with rodney of course is is his three point shot and and how he's hitting it? How and w- with Rodney, you can sometimes see he he loses his com- like once he loses his confidence, it kind of affects all parts of his game. It's not just the offense. Uh, you know, I thought at times th- this season he was subpar defensively. To be honest, he like, gets he, he gets not, really handsy defensively. Yeah, he was not the lockdown guy that he, he kind of was in Miami and and was built to be. So that's something to watch for moving forward. But uh, we we said we'd go tighter we went i think exactly the same amount of time maybe even longer this time (laughs) but um justin thank you so much for doing this a second time um that that first one will just be lost in the archives forever but um where can people find you on twitter and instagram so you can find me at uh on twitter and on social media at at flybynight that's f-l-y-b-y-k-n-i-t-e you can find me on patreon at patreon.com slash flybynight if you want to listen to my podcast on the blue wire network i urge you to if you like clipper content uh yovan's podcast is great he lets me come on i also have my own uh that's clip and roll on the blue wire podcast network be sure to stop by and give it a listen uh i just want to say everybody wear your mask and social distance and stay safe i feel like that's still important these days give this guy a follow check out his podcast great stuff uh thank you again for coming on and as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, I do not know what you're doing. You can subscribe at theathletic.com slash Clip City to help me out, to help the podcast out. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back next week with Lakers writers Bill Oram and Anthony Slater to preview the Lakers Clippers game. And then I will be back after the game to recap it uh, with a guest TBD. So uh, be on the lookout for that next week. And again, if you have not subscribed, please do so. Thank you guys. Social distance. Stay safe and appreciate you listening.